Welcome to another edition of Unplugged, a conventional edition this week. We had a crack at our live broadcast, which we think went pretty well. The game didn't, but the broadcast, I think, went pretty well in the Geelong Clash on uh, Monday night. So we've got a little bit more of a break this time, a six-day break between matches before we take on Essendon on Sunday. So reverting back to normal, plenty of special guests to come over uh, coming weeks, both from the modern day and digging back a little bit in time for those perhaps a little bit older or wanting the nostalgic aspect of it. Uh, but we'll be having a fan focus tonight as well with a former Australian star, over 100 appearances for Australia at international level in David Hussey, also captain uh, Victoria and uh, is the coach of the Melbourne Stars. So he'll join us a little bit later on to talk about his love of the Saints. And there's plenty of that within the Victorian cricket team. But First loss, unfortunately, after four wins in a row uh, for the Saints last Monday and uh, disappointing, I guess, in the manner with which it, it happened. It was fairly competitive early and then fell over late. But at seven and four, fifth on the table coming into the round and the round started on a Thursday, which is unusual and finished on a Wednesday. But uh, we build towards Essendon this week. And Nick, as we uh, welcome you, it was obviously great to experiment with the live broadcast unfortunately the game uh, didn't quite match up to that yeah live was fun got off to a bit of a um, dodgy start we couldn't quite get it working in time but we, we got there in the end a uh, little less uh, I guess production quality we can't edit out our bloopers if we make any when we're on when we're live but uh, back to back to recorded which is nice and, and safe I guess but yeah it was look it was disappointing I've had a few days to think about it and, and Six-day break feels like a lifetime now after the three and a half days we had before the, before the last game. But I guess that night I was really disappointed, really disappointed. I've had, had, had some time to think about it. And, and really, I'm not that fussed about it, to be honest. We, we genu- genuinely looked like we were running in concrete boots. We were buggered. Uh, we had no, had no power, had no strength, had no running capacity. Uh, you know, just it, I, I don't even think looking back on it, that we weren't trying. I think we were trying. We just had nothing in the tank and had no legs, couldn't run, um, couldn't jump, couldn't push, couldn't mark, couldn't kick. We literally could not do anything. And then, and it showed. And you're talking about a team that had, you know, 11 guys that have played less than 50 games up against a, a team that had 13 or something that had played over 150. It's a massive gulf in experience and, and you know, years and years of miles and 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 gas in the tank that they really should have done what they did against us and probably could have could have been even worse to be honest um but there are a couple of guys that stood out obviously young Bytel was was a standout he, he looked really good um looking forward to to seeing him play a lot more games um had an interesting debate with someone who had a, a better debut uh Bytel or Luke Dunstan and I leaned towards Bytel Dunstan had a great debut and and you know hasn't necessarily had the runs on the board since then consistently but uh Bytel I think looked a, na- a more natural footballer didn't quite have the stats of, of Dunstan's first game but just Bytel looks a natural footballer and looked like he'd been there for years just fit in seamlessly knew exactly what he was doing where he had to run uh where to kick to where the clearance was going to be where the ball was going to bounce um just fitted in perfectly and, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him in play for for a long time Absolutely. You actually, you see a lot of a lot of rookies out there in their first game, second game, third game, and they look small. He he did not look small. That, that that's the thing. He, he looked imposing. It's there was strength. There was a, the ability to knock someone out of the way to get the ball himself. It, There's a character it, about him or something. Yeah. He's he's imposing. Yeah, yeah. Um, couple of years time, 
he could be pretty scary. It's that we're seeing this big midfielder as a, as the new thing coming through with a lot of teams now. And he could be the one that does it for us. It's always good um, to see that number running around too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I was saying, I think it was the first time it's been on a, a player under yeah. 195 centimeters or something for 25, 30 years or something now. So it's a bit, bit of a different spot for the, position not not sitting the goal square of center half forward so um but yeah it was it was was a very bright beacon on a dull dull night that one um so hopefully yeah get keep him in for the rest of the year i think as long as he he's not getting overloaded i guess and hopefully big things to come yeah agree with the sentiment on the on the contest too that i thought the alarm bells were a little bit there the week before against the gold coast with the some of those concrete legs and, and you know, they, they weren't quite exploding away from contest and, and they did pretty well to, to hang on and win that game. But obviously then to have a four-day break out of that and, and of course, Geelong are a quality outfit that, that may have beaten us in any case uh, given, you know, their experience and, and they're obviously right in the frame to, to win a flag. As Brett Ratton said, I think the disappointing aspect is, is the manner that it got away, obviously not kicking a goal in the second half. It was a loss at, at three-quarter time. I was thinking percentage-wise it would be good to lose by uh, 30 as opposed to 60, but obviously it crept out the way it did. But um, just got to guard against that. Obviously, the Collingwood game got away from them and, and this game got away from them in completely different circumstances. But, yeah, I mean, apart from Vitale, uh, the, the other positive, I thought Ben Long was pretty, pretty solid in his comeback from suspension. He did some pretty good things and um, the ultimate downside was obviously losing Jay Gresham potentially for the, the remainder of the season with stress fractures in the back. And I guess when you hear stress fractures and you hear multiple games in a short period of time, you probably start to worry about things like that, those sorts of injuries occurring to players. It does it makes, it makes you wonder kind of how how he was feeling before this game because stress fractures don't just happen overnight. They take no. a while. I've, I've had them in my back and they're not fun. Uh, but they're not something that kind of you wake up in the morning and go, shit, my back hurts. Uh, I better go get it checked out. It's something that it's, it's a gradual kind of decline um, or, or increase in pain, I guess, over a period of time. So you wonder kind of, did they talk about potentially resting him for the Geelong game and, and um, getting, you know, maybe getting a Burns back in or, or Ross back in? I don't know how, how Ross is, but, um, you know, I wonder if he was a candidate for, for rotation given you know that sort of that sort of outcome. Uh, I wonder if there was potentially some better management that that could have um, come out of the, the Gold Coast game. As you said, there there are a few things, a few warning signs late in that game, and and Gresham was one. Who I think he was he was pretty good. Um, I think I might have had him um, maybe just outside the votes in, in that game, but he didn't have his um, you know his, his breakout pace, his, his power from the contest that that we've been used to, especially in the second half, um, and, and I. I wonder if there were potentially some things that we could have done to, to manage him a bit better. Yeah, it's if if you do think if Ross had been available, whether maybe he could have been one left out. Um, but yeah, being Geelong, it's you kind of look and go, well, we're probably looking at having our best available going into that game because it's a game that hmm. you you kind of don't want to go. Oh, we'll rest a number of players and then close out further than what it actually did because that that is a big possibility of that happening. Yeah. Um, if you just sort of go, no, okay, well, yeah, we'll half go into this game. That's when you really, really get hurt. Um, and then, I mean, we could look at, we got a six-day break afterwards. So 
that's that's almost at a regular week. Um, so it's it, we I think we got another of these group of games possibly coming up later. So we'll hopefully learn from what's happened in this one. Hmm. Look at, and be able to go. Okay, this is what we can do. This is the groups we can put through. This is the players that we know can handle these extra games over a short period of time. It's yeah, it's it, I mean, it's a learning curve for everyone at the moment. Yeah, it is, and um, yeah, it was the one against Geelong. I mean, a couple of the key moments. You could probably tell pretty early that it was going to be a fairly tough day at the office in terms of uh, the way they were moving. I mean, Zach Jones, just just that sort of speed, and I guess unfortunately for us, a lot of the players that have been injured or out of the side are similar types of players in a similar area. So we know that Dunstan and Hanabry are out for long periods of time. Although Hanabry, good news today that he's running pretty strongly again now and will return to the hub uh, almost immediately. Jared Ruffhead expected to head up there as well, which would be good after uh, his wife uh, just gave birth to a, uh, their child. So he's now obviously back in the hub able to help out. But having Hanabry up and about means that he has some chance of playing again this year, which is good. Uh, Luke Dunstan probably some distance away, but obviously then having Jones out of the side and Ross out of the side meant he lost four guys that are pretty good on the inside of the contest because there's a fair bet that if Dunstan was fit, he would have replaced somebody in that group. Seb Ross, if he was fit, would have come in instead of Jones. So, And obviously now we lose Gresham, but we should get Jones and Ross back, which does help offset that a little bit. But um, it does probably answer the selection question a, a fraction, uh, but which we'll, which we'll talk about a bit later on. But yeah, it was, um, it was a game that I, I probably thought we would lose. I was just hoping we'd lose it by a fair bit less than that because we built up a fair percentage buffer. And I think we went from 123 back to about 111 in that loss. Um, and if you factor that in Melbourne, I think it's 109.9 or something like that. So if you look at those sides that are a game or two behind you, you probably want it to be 10 percentage points clear of them rather than one or two um, because a loss would obviously change that. So uh, that was the... Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got even more teams sitting on the half win as well. So they're kind of... Yeah, we they're out of it now. Gap. Yeah, we had a percentage gap on both Essendon and I think Collingwood, but obviously with the draws that they both got, that doesn't matter anymore. So... Mm. Um, it's just a case of obviously making sure it's, Which is a good thing in a way, but in the yeah, same time, yeah. It might hopefully mean that um, either eight and a half or nine and a half wins sees teams finish eighth rather than 10 wins, which might therefore help our cause. But I think the, the target we've got to hope for is to get to 10 and seven. Um, if, we, if we finish 10 and seven, there's no way we miss the eight. So um, three wins. Two, two might be enough, but three will definitely be enough. I think one of the, the silver linings of some of the injury concerns is that we've gotten to see guys like Bytel and Burns had a taste a few weeks ago. I'd, I'd really love to see him back in the team. Uh, obviously, fresh legs will help and, and getting Ross and um, you know, some, some of the other guys, Jones back as well, uh, will help. But yeah, I think there's, you know, we'll, we'll get to see these guys. I think Gresham's injury means that Bytel probably doesn't get dropped. Um, I think yeah. he, he has to stay in, you'd think. I'd love, like I said, love to see Burns back in um, and get some of these young guys coming through. Uh, but yeah, look at the the game against Essendon. The that percentage drop that you mentioned, I think it kind of means that this Essendon game really is a must win. We've got to keep beating teams around us on the ladder. Uh, and and you know, Essendon coming off four days compared to our six, you know, we we really have to win this game if if we want to be seen as a as a serious legitimate finals player. Um, and, you know, not just potentially making up the numbers. 
Yeah, um, and I think that that's right. I mean, he's got to obviously tick the boxes to secure the spot. I wouldn't be looking at the Geelong game and saying, oh, that St Kilda were found wanting and it clearly means they're not good enough. I mean, yes, they've still got to rise to the challenge and, and there's things they can learn from that, but I don't think that's a performance that has to define necessarily what they are as a group um, based on all of the circumstances. But we'll find out this week because every time we've been challenged this year, we hit back pretty well. We got exposed badly against Collingwood and then came back and beat Richmond the following week. We had a, a disastrous loss against Fremantle and then won four in a row, including two in Adelaide. Um, so now we, we've had a, a, a poor loss and we play against a, a team that's fighting for a spot in the finals. And it's up to us to obviously get that response again this week with two extra days to prepare. But votes, uh, I guess a double vote look. Uh, out of the uh, out of the last two weeks, we in our live broadcast the other day, we didn't quite squeeze the votes in for the Gold Coast game. So we're looking H at votes from last Thursday and votes from Monday. So start uh, with last week. Um, yeah. Get Gold Coast. I, I actually think Billings was our best on. He he gave us some really good use. Um, actually used the ball quite well. Gave us drive and. He came up with some really big possessions in really crucial times that gave, either gave us clear um, field, like clear field in front of us, or gave us a ball that really shouldn't have been ours. Um, so I, I reckon he was our best on. Uh, two to steal. Workman, as always, that's, that's what he does every week. Um, it's, yeah. That's, that's exactly what he's out there to do. There's there's nothing unusual. It's just, it's almost, um, I mean, put him down for votes every single week, the way he's going at the moment. And I mean, it's a bit harsh, but I gave Butler one. Um, he, great game, four goals. It's it's a huge, you know, only a four point result. Um, as position wise, he probably, that's, that's how he got his goals. Um, it's, yeah, I said it's really it's quite harsh not to give him more than one vote, but yeah, that's that's ex, that's the only place like I felt like I could squeeze him in. Um, did you want to go into yours, Nick? Or uh, no, you can uh, roll into Geelong. Go, go, so go yep. Geelong now. All right, um, and for against Geelong, again, Jack Steele. I um, a bit down on his usual effort, I guess. Well, it's well effort, I guess not, but his output. Um, it's when the whole team's down as, as we were, um, he still stood out in the middle, giving us this, giving, giving 110% every game that he, that he does. Um, it just stands up there and as a, as a leader, um, two first gamer by tell that huge, huge game for a first, first game. Um, he could have finished with five touches and just been at first game of the, turned up in a game where we got beaten easily and did nothing, but he threw himself at it all night and gave us, gave us good use out of the middle. Um, but yeah, it's, it'd be nice to see him, nice to see him play a game that we dominate and just see what he can do. Um, and one, one I gave to, I'm just trying to remember. I oh, Ed Phillips um, started us off beautifully. He's kicked half our goals for the match and, I mean, would have been good if he could have kept kept going with the goal run, but yeah, it's. I think they thought, oh, who's this? We better man up on him, and yeah, it slowed it down a bit after that. But um, if he can give us that, he gives us that every week. Hey, 
there's a there's absolutely spot in for him. He's been missing for a while, so good to see him actually have a pretty good game. Absolutely, Nick, your uh, double dose of votes. Yeah, Gold Coast game. I gave three to Dan Butler. I think he was he was the standout in terms of the X factor. He was the difference maker in the game. Uh, it wasn't just the four goals, but also four tackles inside fifty. Uh, his pressure was intense in the forward half of the ground and, and was the, the, the X factor that, that really won the game for us. So three votes for Dan Butler, two to Jack Steele. Uh, as always, his, his leadership on field was, uh, was massive. He had 21 touches, five tackles, seven scoring involvements. He also kicked a couple of goals and, and took some strong marks as well around half forward to, to really um, keep us in good field position and, and make sure that we had, um, had opportunities to score when we needed to. Uh, and one to Jack Billings, kept running, 26 touches, five marks, and, and a really important one late in the, in the last quarter uh, from, I think it was Hunter Clark down in the back pocket. Uh, Clark stepped around a few and, and kicked it up past the, the defensive 50, and, and Billings took a really strong contested mark around 60 out from the, the Suns goal, uh, which was really important in, in allowing us to keep the ball and, and make sure that the Suns didn't get another, another shot at goal. Uh, last week against Geelong, Three to Jack Steele. I thought he was immense. Uh, you're right. I mean, he, he he wasn't himself, but none of the team was. Uh, but he still had, you know, what was it 25 touches, a um, couple of score involvements, and, and was just, you know, was was clearly our best player. You know, in the in the clinches, he ran, he presented all day, all night, I should say, and and uh, just never gave up, even when the tide was turning strongly against us. Um, Two I gave to Ed Phillips. I think he, the, the goals were a bonus, really. I think he, he presented really hard. He, he ran really hard both ways up and down the wing uh, and, and gave us uh, outlet options from halfback and, and was able to move the ball uh, from defence to, to, to attack really easily and quickly for us uh, and, and was really important. Probably his best game for, for the club, I think, in, in a number of years. Uh, Jack Billings, one vote. I thought it as well. Yeah, 17 touches, kicked a goal. Um, and, and again, just kept running. We always presented and, and gave us an option on the wing or at half back to, to move the ball forward. Never really gave up. And, and leadership-wise, I think, showed his his growth in that area. Uh, it's been something that I think has, has been a knock on him in, in previous years, his ability to kind of you know take the game and, and keep running and, and go missing in, in patches. I don't think he's he's gone missing at any point this year. So that was that was impressive. And yeah, honorable mention to, to Bartel is you know very impressive for a first gamer. I thought of the Gold Coast game, uh, three votes to Billings. My votes were the same as as H's, three to Billings for his consistent effort over the four quarters. Uh, that mark he took here and that center half back was, was huge for us uh, at that stage of the game. Gave two votes to uh, Jack Steele as well. He also kicked a couple of crucial goals, one in the third quarter from the intercept mark from the kick-in, and one vote to Dan Butler, who obviously kicked four. He kicked uh, two in the last quarter, uh, which were pivotal, one to get us back within a kick, and then one to push us 10 points clear uh, from a brilliant bit of speed, bursting inside 50. And then to kick the ball like that, running flat out is a fair skill. Uh, even the one he kicked in the third quarter where he hit the pack flat out and kicked that over his shoulder, running flat out is a, is a brilliant piece of forward craft. So gave him one vote for that. In the Geelong game, yeah, Jack Steele was our best player and I think it's pretty obvious who our next captain's going to be. It's hard to see it being anyone other than him at this point, um, whenever that time does come. 
two votes to Vitel. I thought um, there are a lot of guys that, that might have contributed the equal or even slightly more. But if you're based on expectation versus output, I thought he was terrific for a first gamer and a side that was getting belted and against a really physical, strong, mature midfield for him to have that much of the ball and, and use it that smartly was really good. And I gave one vote to Ben Long. I thought uh, off halfback, he made a couple of mistakes early, but was pretty good. He should have won a free kick for holding the ball about 20 metres out in the third quarter that, that wasn't paid. He then hit the, hit the post from 50 out on the run. So he was sort of doing it at both ends, getting thrown around a little bit. Thought he worked pretty hard. Uh, I guess some unluckies in the Gold Coast game with Hunter Clark, certainly. And um, I think two of our key defenders in Wilkie and Carlisle played well in that game and against Geelong. Probably Phillips with a, a couple of snags uh, were, was about the, uh, the the limit of, of the unluckies uh, out of that particular game and Billings as well. But they're the votes out of that one. Our uh, special guest will uh, we'll jump down fan lane again as we jump into the cricketing space with David Husty. Big hit over extra cover and all the way. That is a super strike from Hussey. That's where he's very strong, David Hussey. Square of the wicket on the offside. He hits very well over the cover field. So just enough width for him to work with there. Well, we are taking the celebrity approach on Unplug It again today. We did catch up with a, a former teammate of Dave Hussey's and former captain of Dave Hussey's, in actual fact, in Darren Berry in, in recent weeks to talk about his love of the Saints. And David Hussey joins us again, a man who uh, played one of the most famous innings in one of Victoria's most famous victories under the captaincy of Darren Berry uh, back in about 2003-2004. But uh, Dave Hussey hails from Western Australia, but is a passionate sainter and uh, obviously been a star at Australian level, 108 appearances for Australia at one day and T20 level, and has obviously led uh, the Melbourne Stars for a little while now. Dave, thanks for your time. Absolute pleasure, and thanks for the introduction. Yeah, nice memories. And now, I guess going back to that, there is a fairly strong St Kilda contingent out of Western Australia. Some fine players have heralded from that state, and in, in George Young, who's my dad's favourite St Kilda player of all time. But how did your uh, St Kilda uh, orientation start? I know you did a bit of work experience with Tim Gossage, who was a, uh, yeah. a St Kilda supporter, but I imagine it started well before that. Yeah, well before that. Um, my father was a, a big St Kilda supporter, and... Um, it was before the West Coast Eagles came in the competition. And then when the West Coast came in, um, my brother, uh, Mike, my father and, and I, we used to watch the winners all the time every Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. And yeah, we, we sort of barracked for the St Kilda Footy Club. And the West Coast came in and my father sat Mike and I down and said, right, if you want to uh, stay loyal and, um, and know your football, you've got to stick with either St Kilda or you can change and know nothing about football and go for the West Coast. So uh, I stayed fat and, um, yeah... Um, yeah, stayed loyal to St Kilda, whereas my brother, he, he jumped ship and supports the West Coast Eagles. So there was never any temptation after that, after Frio came along as well? You're well ingrained by that point? And... No, well ingrained. I actually love Tony Lockett, the way he went about us. And uh, every week you sort of get on the winners and you, you see him play and uh, just for highlights. And I think every time he got the ball, uh, delivered lace out by Nicky Winmar, who was a West Australian great. Uh, um, yeah, I used to love watching him play. But also... My birthday's in July, so uh, every year I used to ask for football tickets to see St Kilda play the West Coast um, in Perth. And I didn't see too many wins, but it was still good fun going to Subiaco Oval watching uh, St Kilda boys play. Any regrets? The, uh, the brothers had a, had a fair few wins over you and, and seeing a few flags in that time. Any, any regrets? 
No regrets, no. Um, no. Actually, my best mate, he's a Mad St Kilda supporter too, and he still lives in Perth, so um, we used to go to the footy together when we were a bit older. Um, no regrets, but when we win our next premiership, uh, I'm definitely going to celebrate long and hard and, and let Mike know all about it. Was St Kilda the dominant team in the Victorian change rooms? I imagine it was. Uh, yourself, uh, Darren Berry, Shane Warne, Glenn Maxwell in recent times, David Saker, I think, is a Saint as well. So there's a, there are a few of you floating around the change rooms. Yeah, and also Shane Harwood too. He's yep. a Ballarat boy. He's a big, big Saints man. And yeah, he used to dominate the, uh, the conversation, but it was more about what we needed to, in order to win the grand final. Um, I remember back in the early sort of 2004, 2005 seasons, everyone used to talk about, we're going to win it this year. And we fell short prelim final. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, eight and nine, sorry, nine and 10, uh, we fell short again. But uh, yeah, dominated the, uh, the dressing room chat in the Mighty Saints. Now you talk about the dressing room chat and that sort of thing. Did you find footy was more a topic in as a distraction when the team was going well or when it was struggling? When did it more go, okay, let's think about something else? Uh, when the cricket was struggling or when the Saints yeah, were when struggling? Yeah, with the cricket, yeah. Um, it was pretty much, it was consistent the whole way through. Was, uh, basically, the whole dressing room in the, in the Victorians team thought they could play AFL footy. So, um, yeah, I could have made it. I could have played this. I could have played 150 games. But at the end of the day... We just can't. We're not brave enough. We don't have the skills and we don't have the athleticism that the AFL boys get on with it. But uh, we used to have every year um, a team that could actually match some of the AFL teams uh, throughout the Victorian cricketers. And unfortunately, I missed out every year. So, um, But the conversation would revolve around which are the best players in the AFL. And obviously, we watch the game out of one eye and always put Robert Harvey in there or Nick Rewalt or Justin Gazitsky in there or, um, or Fisher in there. It was just, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things uh, that we used to love talking about footy and always show off our knowledge about uh, the intricacies of the AFL game. Who, who was the biggest shit talker in the, in the locker rooms? Who's, who was the one that thought I could have gone and played 300 games of AFL footy? Oh, well, there's a few. Um, Cam White, he used to think he's, he's pretty tough. Oh, the bear. Um, pretty athletic, the big bear. <laughs> not so much. I'll tell you what he could do is kick the ball miles. Uh, good raking left footer. Uh, Glenn Maxwell was probably the most talented. He, he could kick the ball both feet, run all day. Um, yeah, he was very good. Nick Jewell used to rate himself highly because he played that one game for Richmond. And I think he still hangs his hat on that. I think he got one possession, though, and we sort of let him know about that. Um, all the boys had sort of um, a little bit of talent. Like they used to kick the ball always pre-practice, post-practice and uh, for warm-ups and everything like that. But it's a totally different uh, game as an AFL compared to cricket. Like you're brave, you run back into the pack to, to take marks. Uh, you're running up and, down the, uh, up and down the field the whole game. And by the end of the game, you're absolutely spent. So whereas cricket, we, take, um, we play for two hours, have a break for 40 minutes, play for another two hours. So it's a... Uh, Two contrasting sports. Well, I must admit, watching uh, Brendan McCullum get hit right between the eyes by a Brett Lee bouncer in a big match <laughs> game and then face the next ball is a, is a reasonable degree of bravery as well. But um, I guess on the, the cricket-footy correlation, it's probably interesting now because footballers are probably doing what cricketers have had to do a bit, admittedly in different circumstances. Footballers in hubs away from home for a long time. Cricketers tour England or India or South Africa or whatever it may be for a long period of time. Now, admittedly, Players for a couple of weeks might not have been allowed to leave their hotel, couldn't see family, which is a little bit different to, to that environment. But from a cricket point of view, I guess you guys can empathise about being asked to spend a large slab of time away from friends and family. 
yeah, it's not easy, um, I must admit. But in saying that, it's what we signed up for as cricketers. Like We, we go away for six months of the year to follow the, the summer around and, and play the game we love. And for the footballers, they fly in, fly out, basically, and um, yeah, spend two nights away from home. The next day, they're back with their families. And they're not signed up to, to be away from their friends and family. And they're just having the like, catch to yourself and you can watch anything on the telly um, and have your friends coming over and, and talk anything but football sort of thing. But So they're not used to it. So, so I do really empathise and, and feel for them, but also thank them because at the moment in Melbourne, uh, it's, it's pretty lonely and pretty boring and uh, seeing football on every night is, uh, well, for me, it's, it's a blessing in disguise. For my wife, she goes to bed very, very early because I get the telly and get to watch the footy. So, yeah, I really feel for the footballers, but thank them in the same breath. So obviously, and tried to wear into the game a bit more. Now they've got the got all the extra games on, so no chance. Uh, no. <laughs> she's a very she's I'm an exceptionally stubborn person. Uh, I like to say determined, but she's determined not to not to jump on the Saints bandwagon and not not to enjoy the football like I I do. So in the way of other people, I guess as you were saying, you'd, yeah, you travelled over to England a lot. You played in the um, in the domestic cricket over there and everything. Did you? take the footy over and try to introduce the field of players over there and say, oh, have a look what we're doing and have just yeah, try to woo a few over to the club as well, I guess. Absolutely. Um, it was funny. Shane Warne was playing at Hampshire when I was playing at Knox and every, you play Hampshire twice a year and every time you play Shane, he'd always have the DVDs, the old DVDs of all the games and he'd bring six or seven of the rounds and just take them home and put them in your DVD player when you had DVD players and I used to watch all the uh, the replays of the games there, but I used to every year take a new football over and, and try and convince some of the boys how to kick it and, and handball it. And it's, it's probably more humour value for me seeing the Poms trying to handball the, the, the Aussie rules ball. But I must admit, some of them do kick the ball quite well. Graham Swan, Ryan Sidebottom, they kick the ball quite well and, and quite a distance too. So I dare say there's a bit of talent flapping around with, with the English as well. Yeah, I asked, asked Chuck the same question or a similar question uh, a couple of weeks ago. Did you ever, ever try and get the, uh, the cheeky colours out in the pitch? <laughs> um, no. But what I did do once, um, I went and saw Nottingham Forest play, I think it was Brighton, and my team in the, in the EFL or in English Premier League is Brighton Hove Albion. But I didn't have anything, any Brighton stuff, but I had my St Kilda scarf, scarf with me, so I just wore that that night. And people were looking at me really funny, like, it's, it's sort of not Nottingham Forest uh, colours, but it's not Brighton colours either, and they didn't really know who I was supporting. So that's probably the only thing I really take away from, with me uh, was the St Kilda scarf, and I've had it since, I reckon... Well, early 1990s, I think. So how's the, I guess, this question changes or this situation moves every day or, or every week, but I guess as it stands now, the cricket summer is, is only a couple of months away. We've obviously got that smell in the air now of spring, which suggests usually finals footy, but we've got to wait a little while for that. But it also means the start of cricket season. So are you any uh, clearer as to what the picture will look like for, uh, for you guys or are you expecting hub life? I'm expecting hub life. Uh, it's a bit of a moving beast at the minute. Um, I think CA are trying to uh, keep us all communicated as much as we possibly can. Um, but the BBL is due to start in, in December. And personally, I'm hopeful that it's uh, corona-free Melbourne at that stage and we can go out there and play at the MCG because that's where all the players want to play, at the, the home of cricket. Um, but if that means um, we have to go hub life and uh, travel all around Australia and play our home games away, as long as we're playing cricket and trying to entertain the fans and, and hopefully win the game 
game of cricket, uh, that's the bottom line and that's what we all want to do. So thinking of the MCG and having 100,000 people in there and that, go back, say, just as you're t- turning 18, 19, getting into, into your future, thinking ahead, would you have gone, I'd rather, rather raise the bat, hitting a six on Boxing Day or kick the winning goal after the siren in the grand final? Oh, tough question. Um, if, if I was 17 and I had a bit more courage than I did, like, say, at 20, 21, 22, I'd definitely chosen St Kilda and, and chosen football because oh, I thought they got all the girls, really, and I was not, <laughs> not really an attractive person, so I really needed all the help I can get. So I would have definitely chosen footy, but um, my deep love is cricket. I, I love playing cricket. I love playing at the MCG, and uh, I think getting the opportunity to play in the Boxing Day Test would have been the ultimate for me. So... I probably would have chosen uh, cricket in the long run. How do you feel watching these Saints go around? Uh, excited. Um, uh, frustrating at times. The Fremantle game was, uh, was incredibly frustrating. I had my two kids to look after and they were annoying me. Um, we were ahead by miles and then, come on, Dad, let's do this. Come on, Dad, let's do that. No, I'm watching the Saints play. Just leave me alone sort of thing. And then the Saints end up losing and I was like, just infuriated, but um, what I like about them, they try, they they have a crack week in, week out. Um, geez, they tackle hard. Um, yeah, they play in a really exciting brand of footy, and it's probably the one thing I do look forward to the week is turning on the tally and seeing the Mighty Saints play, and hopefully they win. If they win, I'm very, very happy. But seeing them play and getting out there and entertaining everybody else is, is a huge bonus as well. Yeah, it's much better having football and, and sport around this time in, in lockdown as opposed to the first time when we didn't have that. Well, Dave, thanks for, for joining us. As we said, you represented Australia 108 times at One Day International and T20 level and with a first-class batting average of 53. Had you been born in any other era than the one you're in, you probably would have played a fair bit of test cricket as well. That's obviously not intended to rub that in, but certainly your record suggests <laughs> that would have been the case. But uh, thanks for joining us. Good luck for the, uh, for the summer ahead and uh, go Saints. Absolutely. Go Saints. Big season, I reckon. Big future. I thought in the first half our ability to compete and you know especially through the midfield was really good. Uh, um, you know contested ball plus 14 um, clearances were in front by one, but the ability to score or be scored against was sort of the key factor. And the, you know, at one point they had um, 13 inside 50s for 10 shots and we couldn't score at the other end. And by half time it was 25 inside 50s to 18, but there's still roughly you know, two and a bit goals of difference. So we did, we did some things right. We tried to sort of uh, change the mix a little bit in the second half, but we then an area that was good in our game really turned to yeah, not, not a great result around the ball and their dominance in uh, the third quarter through stoppages. We look towards Essendon on Sunday. We do have another game also locked in in the fixture. We'll go to Alice Springs and play Melbourne in round 14. Now, that's a bit of a home away from home for the Ds. They play a few games in the top end each year, so they'll have a little bit more experience there than, than we will. But uh, good to see other parts of, uh, of Australia, I guess, that are travelling everywhere like everyone is at the moment. But the Saints have never played a game in the Northern Territory for premiership points, so they'll, they'll tick that one off the list as well. I think they were going to... Anyway, I think they were originally scheduled to play the Gold Coast in Darwin uh, in the first fixture, but um, they'll now go to the Alice Springs and the Red Centre and, and take on the Ds. But first up, it's Essendon. There's Brisbane after that at the Gabba. I don't think we know exactly when that game's being played in terms of 
time and date. We may know that, but I'll, I'll double check. But Essendon this week, uh, three changes flagged in the press conference that were that Ryder, Ross and Jones would be available to play. Um, Jones, logical. Uh, Ross, you would think, uh, after three weeks out. And, and Ryder, it's probably the outs are the key. I, I imagine that, uh, well, Jay Gresham's the obvious one who goes out. As much as we've all discussed that Ed Phillips played well, I get the feeling he'll still get dropped, uh, unfortunately, for uh, one of those midfielders. Uh, the other one where it's tough, so I'm going Phillips and Gresham out for Ross and Jones. But then what do we do about getting Ryder back into the side? Essendon are fairly tall, so do we leave out a Dean Kent or something like that and, and put Ryder back in? Because they'll have young Draper, who's a, a handy young Ruckman, and Bell Chambers and these sorts of guys. But uh, certainly an area we might be able to get on top with the two of them. So, yeah, the third change is a, probably a little harder to find. There's a few. The other one, I think, is is Loney as well. Uh, missed, missed a weekend, come back with fresh legs. You know, we're up against a team coming off four days. Uh, fresh legs is going to be really important, and, and he's got that pace and, and kind of dynamic ability um, inside the forward half. So, yeah, could be could, Kent could be an out. Loney could come back. Uh, Phillips, yes, yeah, it's, it's unlucky. You know, 16, yeah. 16 touches and two goals and you get dropped. That, that's very rough. Um, but if you had to choose between him and Bytel, who do you, who do you pick? Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough one. But I, I just want to see Bytel play more. Yeah. But I guess if, if you're bringing in Jones and, and Ross, do you then have too many kind of similar inside players to, to do? And, and does that kind of mean that, that Phillips gets a... A reprieve and, and Bytel does have to miss again. I don't yeah, it's really it's I gonna be a really tough right one. Forward too, Phillips against the Gold Coast. Yeah. Not wrong in that game either. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe you move Phillips back to a halfback flank and, and long misses. I I don't know. Phillips, the, the one thing that Phillips really impressed me uh, with against the Gold Coast was his ability to kind of stand up in, in contest. There was one in particular with uh, Ben King in the goal square that he really held his own. In a, in a defensive capacity and, and really you know, held off King until until reinforcements arrived. It was a long kick into the goal square and Phillips went one-on-one with King and, and contested really hard and, and brought the ball to ground and, and really stopped King from kicking a goal. Um, and so that could be a, an option to, to move Phillips back to a half-back flank or, or back pocket or something to keep him in the side and, and maybe someone like a, like a Geary goes out and, and misses a week or... or Long again, although he's fresh legs, he you know, missed four, three weeks, and, and you know, you'd expect him to stay in. But there's a lot of question marks around around this week's uh, selection table. Yeah, you think speed may be a bit of a key for this week. It's a day game; they get it's going to be dry. Um, Essendon are a reasonably quick side, uh, but hope hoping that they might fall to the same problem that we had last week with the heavy legs and. Um, that we might be able to use that pace to run around them. So a, a smaller side may be how the team goes in this week. It, Phillips has that speed and line-breaking ability. So he, he, it, to be missing out a game where he could be a key player is it would be quite tough. Um, the two Ruckman, I, I'm, yeah, I don't know whether whether we go in with the two and or do we just concentrate on as thinking having um, having Marshall by himself and try and try and win the ball out of the middle a bit more than what we did last week. Um, it, it's yeah, I, I'd be thinking that pace is probably our way to be looking at this game. Um, the other question, on, speaking about the, the ruck 
one is do we give Marshall a rest? You know, he's had he's had a big block of games. Do we give Marshall a rest, especially for bringing the likes of Ross and Jones back in and maybe keeping Vitel? And we've got you know a ball winning midfield. Do we do we bring in Ryder to go one out as a tap ruckman and really trust our our mids to to uh, go and win the hardball? I really like the idea of having. Um, I don't know that that may well be the case in terms of the fresh legs, but I think with obviously Max relatively late in a his first season with, with Essendon. They rested early last week, the Bombers, so, so on uh, Wednesday. So they'll, they'll play him this week. And Kyle Hooker, I think, was touch and go. They said he'd obviously missed the Gold Coast game and would be a chance to come back against us. So I don't mind the idea. And I think one of the main assets when we have Ryder and Marshall in the team is that when Ryder's rucking, Marshall can play out of the forward line and give us another target. So that, that certainly does help in that regard, especially with those two guys that could intercept Mark maybe down in their uh, defensive end. So that's the the challenge in that regard as to, to sort of how they want to play it. Uh, the other one's Geary, who um, I understand why he played forward at times this year, and he's done a good job, particularly on Doherty uh, earlier on in the season and a couple of other times. But I just wonder whether that's a permanent move or not. He's been playing forward basically in the side all the time. I still wonder whether his best position is in the defensive end playing on somebody like a McDonald's Tip and Woody or, or a player of that ilk. I'm not sure that Jaron Geary is a permanent forward for the uh, for the Saints. Now, I know that the defensive setup with Clark, Patton and Caulfield as smalls has been pretty good, and Ben Long can do that as well. And Wilkie can play on mediums too, so he might have been squeezed out of that end, but I just don't know if Jaron Geary is a permanent forward. Well, the only player thinking that he would have that sort of role against this week would be Saad, but... I don't, think he's quick enough for, I don't think he's quick enough for Saad. That's one problem. Um, yeah. no, not at all. Saad's the sort of player you've got to kind of get in front of and make him kick. Um, make him accountable for you, basically. Yeah, we don't want... You, you Basically, if he's running out in front of his player that should yeah. be on him, then he's not going to be catching him. Um, you kind of play between, play between their goal and him with... Um, and just, to try to stop the running out, make him kick the ball to a target because that, that's kind of where he struggles a little bit at times. Um, I mean, and you're looking into the into their forward line. I mean, yeah, I guess McDonald's would be winning, I guess, would be a be the key um, matchup for Gary if he's down there. Um, Deb Smith, maybe. It's just a... He, he kind of plays a bit more up the ground quite often as well. So it, it's someone that he'd be having to follow up the ground, I guess. It's, um, but then, then you go, then you look into the middle. Do does um, still look more at merit or shield? That's, that's one, one question I'll be looking at. I think McDonald tipping what he makes the most sense for Geary because Geary has the defensive craft to, to manage uh, McDonald tipping but also the strength, uh, upper body strength. McDonald tipping is really strong and, uh, and Geary has the ability to to line up on him, I think, pretty well. But yeah, it might be it might be kind of the perfect week to uh, to give him a spell. Um, yeah, the, the the steel one's an interesting one. I I, I feel like I want to see him go head to head with Dylan Shield. Um, you know, former teammates as well, and uh, just let them go head to head. And and I trust Jack Steele implicitly now to to both you know quiet their best midfielder, but also go and win his own ball. Um, I think. I think Merritt is probably a bit more damaging when he's got the ball than, than Shield is. I think Shield's a better 
probably a better ball winner, but I think Merritt's more damaging with the ball. Uh, and uh, I, I feel like if Steele goes to Merritt, then he'll be sacrificing a fair bit of his offensive ability to, to quiet Merritt. And, and you know, I, I, I just... I don't rate Dylan Shield at Essendon as much as I did at GWS because he doesn't have the same class around him as he did at GWS to, to cover up some of the, the skill errors and, and decision-making flaws that he, that he has in his game. So I'm, I'm quite happy to kind of let Steele go head-to-head with, with Shield and just try and make Shield accountable for him at the same time. And uh, you know, maybe someone else can, can run with merit and, and quieten him. Yeah. Kind of look at last week. Um, Sheil only had four touches less than what Merritt did, but Merritt had uh, almost 200 metres more ga- uh, metres gained. So it just shows he gives him the ground a bit more than what Sheil is actually doing. Mm. Yeah, um, enough, yeah. yeah, so he, he moves the ball a lot better. Um, so it's, it's he's one that we're definitely going to have to watch, I think. And um, Adam McGrath going into the middle for them, middle of last year has been... Uh, really influential around the, the ball for them. We know he, he sort of started off off halfback, but he can play that role for them too. So that's obviously why we want most hands on deck through the uh, through the middle of the ground. And I hopefully don't get held down for this because hopefully people understand where I'm coming from. Jack Steele's clearly not Lenny Hayes and, and won't be Lenny Hayes. I don't think anyone would be that type of player, but I get the feeling that, that Jack Steele sort of at the moment represents that type of role, if that makes sense. So, so Lenny Hayes was the, I guess, the go-to inspirational figure in the team. And, and whilst, again, I stress Jack Steele is not Lenny Hayes, I think he's playing that type of role on our side now as the, I guess, the I guess the inspirational figurehead. The, Lenny Hayes was, was captain of the club for a while, but for most of his career, Nick Rewalt was captain. So Jack Steele's not captain of St Kilda at the moment. And it's taking nothing away from Jaron Geary, but Jack Steele might as well also be captain, I think, the way he's playing uh, at present. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, but yeah, he'll, I agree. You sort of just trust that he'll get the job done wherever he does happen to go at this point. But given, given, his, form, given his form this year, does it concern you that he wasn't voted into the leadership group at the start of the season? A little bit, because as I said, I reckon he would be the captain. If, if Jaron Geary either. I know Seb Ross is the vice captain, but if um if Jaron Geary retired at whatever points, then Jack Steele would be the logical choice to captain the group. You would think. Uh, based on on pure footballing ability and and footballing consistency, they have to be. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you could pick anyone over Jack Steele at the moment to be the next the next captain. Uh, but it is a little concerning because I think he showed some of those same attributes last season mm, yeah. uh, in terms of his on-field leadership and, and you know, ability to, to be that guy in terms of the, the one who stands up when, when things are going the other way. He, he's the one. He's the man that you, that you look to in the middle. Um, you know, you, you'd love it to be Seb Ross, but it's not. And, and I think he's kind of shown that. You know, he, he has certain abilities, Seb, but he's that kind of on-field... Um, jump on my back and I'll, I'll pull you along. That's, that's not one of his kind of specialties. Whereas Jack Steele looks like that's one of his things when, when the tide's turning, he kind of, he'll go win the hard ball and he'll burst out of a pack. He'll kick it long. He'll kick a goal, take a, take a strong mark. He'll do whatever, it, whatever it takes really. Um, and I, I find it really hard to believe that he's not our best on field leader. And well, so for me, I, I wonder what is it that, kind of stopped him from being in the leadership group this year because I think if he was in the leadership group then there's nothing stopping him from being 
the next captain next year. Whereas now you kind of look at it and go, well, if he's not even in the leadership group, can he, can he stand up to being the, the captain next season? Well, the one thing we don't know is, has he gone to the other players and say, look, I don't want to be part of it. Well, and basically yeah. said, yeah, don't, don't vote for me. I don't, I don't yeah. want to have that on me or, and is, is the sort of player that goes, my football is going to lead, not the name of a captain yeah. or yeah. Um, it, it, there's, plenty of players out there who over the years should have been a captain, but never were. Um, and plenty of players that have never, haven't been the best player in the team who have been the captain. The leadership is better than their football. And a lot of players, their football is better than their leadership. So it's, it's, there's a, there's a bit of a fine line there. You don't want to, I guess, if he doesn't want that sitting on top of him and doesn't want it to, I guess, affect him, and he's able to just uh, concentrate on what he's doing out in the field, then that, that's what we'd prefer. The good thing is that I, I guess, as, as opposed to previous years, you know, when, when Rewalt was captain, it was kind of like, you know, for a period you had Goddard and you had some, some other guys that were ready to step up if Rewalt retired at any, at any point. But there was a period where you kind of went late in his career. Shit, when he goes, who's, who's next in line? Uh, and, you know, Geary was, was the guy, but, uh, you know, you've got guys like Hunter Clark and Nick Caulfield now that, that kind of look to have that leadership ability and they're not quite there yet. I'm not saying that they're ready to be captain next week if it came to it or, or next season or even two years from now. But, you know, guys like guys like that that look like they're, they're putting their heads over the ball, they look like they're ready to, to step up in terms of taking on more responsibility within the team. You know, Caulfield's one that's really impressed me in that regard this season. He was one that I had big concerns over in, in that regard uh, before this season. But everything he's done on field and the way that he directs traffic from half back, you know, he, he's really impressed me. And it doesn't look like we have that void of um, developing leaders anymore. If I, I, was just, I, yeah. I was just yeah. thinking if he's still quite young, is Zach Jones a contender? Probably. Um, I think he's, he might be in the leadership group, I think. But um, lifelong St Kilda supporter, loves the club, um, mm. certainly provides that grunt in the middle, fires the boys up when he kicks goals. You'll see him, you know, roar and punch fists and grab the, the shield and all of that sort of stuff. So certainly think he, uh, he could be an option. I guess my final thought before we uh, wrap things up is that someone who is in the leadership group, I'm fairly certain, who if we had to pick somebody to be BOG this week, it wouldn't be a bad time for uh, Bradley Hill to get that gone, I would mm. think, in a game. But he was all right against the Suns and thought he was all right against the Swans. It was non-existent against Geelong. Now, I know a lot of players were, but um, hopefully... Uh, because if he's BOG, you're probably going to win games uh, based on his skill set. So hopefully he can uh, he can produce close to his best over this last uh, over this last six games. But fingers crossed for the uh, the Bombers on Sunday before the uh, obviously the really tough task after that as well of Brisbane at the Gamma, uh, which will be at the same time as the game this week. So Sunday, three thirty-five. Yep, six day break, then a seven day break. The luxury. 